You're listening to Shine On, a podcast presented by Solar Power Europe, the European Association for Solar Power. Join us as we shine a light on the latest developments in the solar sector. Hello and welcome to Shine On, a podcast by Solar Power Europe. I'm your host, Lucas Clark Memler, and in this series, Sustainability Champions, we are shining a spotlight on people and companies leading the charge with sustainability efforts. It's with great pleasure that I introduce my guest, Susanna Wood, VP Public Affairs European Wind and Solar at Statcraft. So thanks for being here today, Susanna. Thank you very much, Lucas. And can I ask where you're calling in from? I'm speaking to you today from a very hot room in a hot part of England, just in the Surrey Hills. It's very beautiful, Um, but, uh, you know, we're struggling with the heat here, I would say. Absolutely, and Brussels too. So why don't we just begin with you introducing yourself to our listeners and telling us a little bit about yourself and your role at Statcraft? Sure. So I've been at Statcraft only since May, and that's as a result of Statcraft buying Solar Century. And uh, they bought Solar Century last November and were properly integrated in May. And before that, I was part of Solar Century since 2007. So I've got some pedigree in solar. And now I'm having to quickly learn about everything else that Statcraft does, uh, wind, offshore wind, hydrogen, et cetera, et cetera. So um, my role is public affairs for wind and solar in Europe. And as such, that obviously covers the regulatory environment for wind and solar in Europe. Mm. But also I'm looking at sustainability and ESG as it affects the sector within Europe as well. Mm, Absolutely. So it sounds like there's a a bit of a learning curve then this year. Oh, yes. Great. So, I mean, you you mentioned sustainability and that's obviously the topic of today. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about with Statcraft. I mean, if you want to also discuss Solar Century as well, that's fine. But kind of just this idea of sustainability and how you're approaching sustainability in this role. Sure. So I think the first thing to say about Statcraft is it's a pretty old company. It's over 100 years old. And sustainability is really baked into the way that the company operates. It's like a way of life. Um, but we have recently reviewed the sustainability strategy. And I had no part in this. It was before I joined, so I can't take any of the credit, unfortunately. But I think they've approached it in a really clever way. So um, as, as as you probably know, if you're working in a company that is producing renewable power, sustainability can be a little bit of a difficult topic because what you do is sustainable. So mm-hmm. how do you talk about a sustainability strategy? And I think they've come up with a really clever way of framing the issue or the strategy. And we have put it around the sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. So at the core of that is our commitment, which is to climate action. And then there's our core business. And so we have picked the sustainable goals around affordable and clean energy and sustainable cities. So that's kind of what Statcraft does. And then the third part of the sustainability strategy is the way that we work. So the way we deliver that and not just because it's right, but because it's a better way to do business. And within that, the sustainability goals around gender inequality, decent work, life on land, and peace, justice, and strong institutions. But I think that core way of of, of sort of splitting what we do from the way we do it is actually quite a neat way for companies in renewables to be thinking about their sustainability strategy. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's true that 
sometimes in our sector we can rest on our laurels a little bit yeah. because we are a, a renewable source. So it's good to hear that there's this sort of comprehensive and holistic approach. Um, maybe you could tell us a bit about any particular sustainability milestones sure. uh, you've achieved so far, successes you'd want to talk about. Yeah. And again, I think I would split that between what we do and how we do it. So in terms of what we do, Statcraft has more than 370 power plants around the world. We're producing 65 terawatt hours. We're Europe's largest producer of renewable power. And mm. we've now got into green hydrogen. So there's investment in the newer areas of our sector as well. So that's kind of what we do. And then in terms of the way we work, I think there are loads of great examples of how we're making a difference and how we're using that to motivate our people as well. And so you can look at it at a project level and look at the particular projects and there's environmental and social elements to the way that we work, whether that's job training, job creation in rural areas, supporting rural broadband, community investment in our projects in the Netherlands. We've been mm -hmm. planting 20,000 oak trees in Taluela. We've been promoting habitats for rare species. In the UK, we're working with the Bumblebee Conservation Trust. So there's all of those sort of specific examples that you can look at at particular projects. And then across the whole piece, we have been uh, looking at the sustainability of our supply chain in, in particular. And um, there's a really big focus on health and safety. And in fact, we've just been given, everyone in the company has been given a card by the chief executive, which means that we can stop a project. We have the authority to stop a project if we are concerned about it. And whilst we all kind of think that we have that ability to actually be told, no, you really do. I think that's a very powerful statement. And I think the other big example I would point to as a, as a milestone is that Statcraft has inherited the relationship from Solar Century that we have with SolarAid. So SolarAid is all about ridding the use of kerosene in the poorest parts of the world and specific countries within Africa. And kerosene is toxic, it's dangerous, it's expensive, and of course it's a big carbon emitter. And with the relationship that we're going to have between Statcraft and SolarAid, we will be directly helping to replace a lot of that kerosene with something as simple as a solar light, which is cheap and non-toxic mm. and, and actually kind of promotes homework and study and additional um, entrepreneurial activity. So it's a, it's a fantastic relationship to have. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting application. Uh, you, you mentioned this just in this answer, and, that, and I wanted to talk about uh, this anyway, is this idea of biodiversity. You know, so it's more than just the plant, just the renewable energy produced, but also ensuring that you're contributing to the, the local flora yeah. and fauna. You, you mentioned the bees and, and, the, and the trees, but yes. maybe you can talk a little bit more about the biodiversity with these sure. projects. Yeah, and I think... Um, you know, I think we should really think about solar in particular, given this is Solar Power Europe. And I think solar is incredibly well placed to make positive contribution to biodiversity. And if you think about it, very often what we're doing is taking land out of intensive farming, giving it that rest. And not only are we doing that, but we are contributing through additional environmental actions that improve biodiversity. So that could be planting, wildflowers, hedgerows, trees, ponds, peat restoration, bird and bat 
taxes. They all sound like quite simple measures, but it, it actually adds up to quite a lot if you if you do it well. Um, obviously, we do environmental plans, EIAs for every project. But I was looking at one recently in the UK where, and there's there's a specific measure that's used for projects in the UK, so you can actually measure the habitat improvement you're going to create. And one of the projects that's just gone into planning will create a 140% improvement of habitat. Mm, wow. Yeah, so it's it's really very meaningful if you do it right. And in fact, it's one of those areas where the developers actually really like it. If somebody mm-hmm. says to them during the planning process, what impact is this going to have? Is it going to be bad for the local environment? And that's kind of like, yes, I've got, I've got mm-hmm. a really good answer mm-hmm. for you because it's going to be incredibly <laughs> positive. And I think that, um, you know, the faster we grow uh, and the more actors that come onto the scene, it could be an area for concern. Are shortcuts going to be taken? But actually, then I was talking to one of my colleagues in Spain, and that's a you know a really competitive market. It's very very vibrant for solar, and mm-hmm. he was making the point that the more projects that come into the pipeline, actually to be successful, the projects need to just be that much better. You know, the ones that are going to mm-hmm. get the planning and get all the permitting that they need, and so as a result, he actually sees it as a very positive move for sustainability and for biodiversity because it's those projects that are going to make it through to be permitted, and so you know that that actual increase in the market is a good thing, and then so that's the kind of the the planning part of it, but I think also if you look at uh, then what happens when you've actually built it and if you're going to sell the project or you're organizing a PPA for it, then I think you also want to make sure that your project is really well done and that you've considered all of those social and environmental aspects and you've really got a plan for promoting biodiversity because it just makes it so much more attractive for the investor and for the PPA offtaker. And I think they're really going to start thinking about some of these qualitative aspects uh, mm-hmm. as they evaluate projects. I'm I'm curious in these projects, you know, especially you, you know with development and conception, is there a particular person that is in charge of this biodiversity or sustainability aspect in terms of actually looking concretely at what kind of trees to plant, how we can yeah. support bees? Is, is is that a particular role in within Stotcraft? It it's spread across many people because actually biodiversity is quite a local thing at the end of the day and mm-hmm. how you, you know, how you approach a project in southern spain versus wales could be mm-hmm. quite different obviously from a biodiversity perspective now some of the principles are the same and so uh, from an approach perspective we have a team of people within stackcraft who can advise each of the projects on how they're approaching it from an environmental standpoint and also from a social standpoint And then we also tend to work as developers with local consultants who Mm -hmm. can help us with that real specificity that is needed, both in terms of understanding the local biodiversity, but also local planning requirements, etc. So you have to have that combination of of a sort of group-wide capability with that local expertise. Yeah, absolutely. And also that means more jobs for the solar sector, So, which is also a good thing. Yeah. Great. So uh, turning to to a slightly more technical topic, because I think something that you'll encounter quite a bit if you're reading anything about net zero targets, about carbon impact, is this idea of the different scopes of emissions. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that sometimes it can be quite confusing when you're hearing 
people discuss what what does this mean for scope two versus scope three emissions. So yeah. for the uninitiated, could okay. you explain the difference between these different scopes of emissions and, and also how to take them into account when you're measuring a carbon footprint? Yeah, absolutely. So there are three different scopes that we are concerned with. And um, scope one is the emissions from what you own as a company. So that could be you own a building or you own cars. It's pretty mm-hmm. unusual now, but it, it, it is possible. Scope two and three are indirect emissions. And scope two are just the emissions from the energy that you buy. So scope three, which is where a lot of the attention is going, is there's all of the emissions from your value chain. Mm. And this is potentially very significant. And that's where a lot of the analysis is going on in terms of what companies are saying about their scope three emissions and what they're going to either reduce or remove in terms of scope three emissions, because it's really potentially very comprehensive. And the reason we need to think about scope three emissions, because my my scope three emissions are someone else's scope one and two emissions, right? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. The reason that I need to be concerned with our scope three emissions is because I have some influence over it. So that's why we have this concept of worrying about the emissions from our value chain is is because I can influence, I can influence in terms of, well, theoretically, (laughs) in terms of how um, certain farms are built and um, developed in order to reduce those emissions even though I'm not directly producing them myself. So, so that's why we're concerned with scope three. And they're, they're also the hardest to work mm-hmm. on. So if you look at solar power and our role as a developer, is the scope three emissions that are really where it's all at. It's the carbon that's emitted during the manufacture of the equipment, the shipping of that equipment to site, the construction mm-hmm. of the project, and then to a lesser extent, the emissions from running the plant. But it's really that upfront manufacturing of the equipment, getting it to site and building it. That's where really all our emissions are on solar and they're all scope three. So when I was still at part of Solar Century, we carried out um, a pretty comprehensive carbon footprint. And Mm. of course, the thing that came out of that was, yes, it's all in the projects. It's all scope three. So what do we do about it? So first off, you need to have a project focus, then you need to think about how you're going to measure the emissions upfront. So the exercise we did was kind of retrospective. We picked a financial year and we were looking back at it. But actually you need to get the commitment to measure emissions before they happen. So it needs to be built into the contracts before you actually issued the contracts. Mm -hmm. So that if you're, let's say you're talking to your inverter manufacturer and you say afterwards oh can you also tell me all the emissions that you that were caused by us buying those inverters that's the wrong time to ask the time to ask Mm -hmm. is before you is when they're actually tendering for the contract making it an obligation that they're going to provide you with that information and then when you think about the PV and the inverters, that's actually reasonably straightforward to try and get that information. Where it gets harder is kind of everything else. So that kind of balance of work that needs to be done mm-hmm. in terms of constructing the project and buying all the bits of cable that are needed, all of that is actually harder because you're not dealing necessarily with really big companies 
who have a sustainability team and a bunch of analysts who are going to be working on emissions data. It could actually be much smaller companies for whom this is not a typical question that they know how to answer. So actually what we've decided to do is to break that down slightly differently and to be asking questions like, you know, how many journeys are you going to be making and make it a requirement that they measure those journeys how many people they're going to be having on site, what kind of journey times they have, what's the what's the wiring that they're buying, where have they got it from. So we ask the input questions and then we'll worry about translating that into emissions. So that's what we're going to be piloting mm-hmm. uh, in, in the next several months is a, a means of getting that data, a commitment to that data in the contracts and then actually gathering the data as we go through the project. And then I think we'll have a really specific idea of the real carbon footprint, not a kind of derived one from standard industry data, but a kind of real carbon footprint. And then we'll be in a much better position to know how to how to tackle it. Mm. And, and do you see this as becoming more widespread in the sector and sort of the in industry at large of, of, of oh, having definitely. this sort of comprehensive scope analysis? Yeah, I really think this is this is the direction that everyone's going to go in. And I think it is a matter of time before we're asked what's the carbon footprint for this project. And it's kind of the way that the EU taxonomy is going anyway. Solar has, you know, the, the data requirements so far are not that onerous, but they probably will be going forward. And I think we can just expect that the questions that we get from investors and off-takers are going to get tougher and tougher. and require us to produce more and more data yeah absolutely we see that in other areas and yeah and so i think it's just a a, a developing trend for sure yeah well i mean it's good it's going in that direction because again i I can imagine how easy it would be to just focus on scope one and two and kind of leave three in the wind even if as you said it seems that with solar in particular three is sort of where the the real heavy footprint is so yeah for sure for us developers that's where that's where Mm -hmm. our emissions are as developers yeah Mm -hmm. We can think about a, a smaller footprint now, uh, perhaps, um, and don't necessarily need to think of them in, in scope terms. But I'd like to talk about your personal experience with sustainability, and I just find it interesting to hear about who, you know people who work in the field, what what their what their own approaches in their life, how it manifests day to day, and maybe even you know leave some sort of tips or, or ideas yeah. for people about how to to minimize their footprint. Yeah, this is a thorny area as well, isn't it? Because, um, you know, to what extent can I make a difference in my personal life? I mean, Absolutely. obviously, in my professional life, I'm, I've am i committed my career to working in a climate area. But in my personal life, what can I what can I really do? I can't go out mm-hmm. and build a bike lane. I can't mm-hmm. um, put tax on frequent flyers, etc. So, um, but, but if, if you, only you could, though, Susanna, we'd be in a much could, better place. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly people who would like to fly into space. Um, <laughs> so, um, what what do I do though? I mean, obviously, I do take it seriously as an individual, just because that's kind of where my values are as well. So. Mm-hmm. My husband and I are vegetarian at home, mm-hmm. and um, given the pandemic, we don't really <laughs> eat out much anyway, so we can pretty <laughs> much call us vegetarian. Um, we get vegetables delivered from an organic farm, and they come in a box and with 
minimal or no packaging, you know, really very, mm. very little mm-hmm. packaging. Uh, and they taste delicious, which is another reason for, <laughs> for going down that route. And my garden, I would say, is pretty wild. So there's a lot of bees in the garden. Mm-hmm. And what else? Well, I mean, the other thing I've actually really struggled, it's been surprisingly hard, is trying to do sort of personal divestment actions. Mm-hmm. So whether it's your pension or various saving schemes, um, we have tax breaks in the UK on ISIS, and trying to um, make sure that none of your money is invested where you mm-hmm. don't want it to be invested is really hard. It takes a lot yeah. of time. There's um, just not yeah. that much information about it. Not very much on offer and not very much the information is not necessarily that it is changing. You can tell it's mm-hmm. changing, mm-hmm. but that's, that's been quite, quite challenging. And also it's a bit boring to do as well. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Growing wildflowers in your garden is much more interesting than trying to sort out where your pension is invested. And you get less credit <laughs> for it as well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> less bragging rights. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, I think you definitely touched on that difficulty of navigating between the, the 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 kind of seeming you know minimal effect of your own your own role but i think what you said really sort of hits a nail on the head that when you're in this industry it's more than just evaluating your Im- impact from sort of a quantitative level but it's sort of an ethical way yeah, of life as well definitely. so it makes sense um as a final note um because we are getting to the end um i'd like to ask for any recommendations that you have for listeners so this this can be a book or a documentary or a, another podcast, uh, but really anything where listeners, if they want to learn more about sustainability as a topic or, or solar or, or renewables in general, I'm, I'm curious if you have anything you'd like to recommend. Yeah, I have, I have two recommendations. And one of them actually touches on this subject of your, of your personal footprint and, mm. and whether that is something we should be concerned with or not. It's actually a podcast um, called How to Save a Planet. It's American, so not every topic they discuss is particularly relevant to us Mm -hmm. in Europe. But there's one really good episode called Is Your Carbon Footprint BS? And I I actually think everyone who works in our sector should listen to that. I think anyone who is concerned about their personal impact Mm -hmm. should listen to that. It's it's very well put together. Mm. Um, The other one, possibly people have already seen this, but if they haven't, I would really strongly recommend the David Attenborough's testament that he that he is on netflix it's called a life on our planet and it's like mm-hmm. his personal testament and he is a bit edgier when he's on netflix rather than the bbc so mm-hmm. he speaks a bit more bluntly but it's beautifully written beautifully filmed and whilst it sort of covers topics that i think most of us are reasonably familiar with it's still is is a beautiful film and and you will get something from it if you haven't seen it. You'll get, you will learn something and, and, and be, feel more like what you're doing is making sense. Mm, those are two great recommendations. I've noted them down and I hope our listeners have too. Well, thank you so much, Susanna, for, for spending the time with us today. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Sustainability means more than simply reducing emissions. To be sustainable requires taking into account the environmental, economic, and social dimension of the entire value chain. Solar Power Europe recently released its first ever Solar Sustainability Best Practices Benchmark, 
which investigates key sustainability considerations for the solar sector, presenting state-of-the-art sustainability practices. Discover all the insights of the study at solarpowereurope.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, shine on.